0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, October 7th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about Werewolf by Night, the new Marvel Studios uh, special presentation, I think is what they're calling it. Uh, My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, good to be podcasting with you again, my friend. Uh, I I have to be completely honest with you. Um, I've just got back from my vacation. Uh, I've been... Sneaking out in the middle of the workday to see movies and try to catch up on things since I, I didn't really watch anything for five weeks. Um, I came back and remembered, oh crap, we got to do a podcast today. And then I remembered about Werewolf by Night. And uh, the the admission to you, Brad, is that I've not structured this episode in the way that we normally structure our sort of breakdown recap things. This is going to be much more of a free flowing conversation. So, uh, with that caveat up front um what did you think about werewolf by night i guess that's a good uh, as good a place to start as any
2: yeah uh so I, I really dug this um this was a very cool thing to see marvel studios do you know uh, back when they first announced that they were making werewolf by night everyone was kind of shocked and even confused because it's it's what definitely one of the more obscure marvel comics titles and so for marvel studios to be adapting it in the middle of, you know, having all these TV shows, expanding the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, even this felt like it was like a just a complete shot out of nowhere. Um, but then when you find out that, yeah, as it went along, that it was this kind of like special presentation, it was this holiday special they were doing, and they got Michael Giacchino to come in and bring his love for classic horror movies from the 30s and 40s in, it started to make a lot more sense. And it really kind of like Uh, opens up the potential for a lot more cool, bold, stylistically uh, interesting kinds of storytelling that they can do that doesn't necessarily have to be beholden to all of the deep mythology that's been created by the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Mm -hmm. because even though this takes place in the MCU, uh, there weren't any like, you know, mandates or like forced connections that needed to be made for it to to work. You know, we don't need to know. Uh, you know, what uh, Ant-Man's doing during this time or right. where the Eternals are or anything like that. It doesn't matter. It's, it's this cool, uh, contained story. And uh, aside from that, just the style itself, it's in black and white. You know, it has uh, this film grain to it and it feels like it's calling back to the Universal Monsters catalog. Um, and then on top of that, standing out from the rest of the Marvel stuff, you have these practical effects. You know, there's there's very sparing use of digital effects. They use some digital effects to touch up Uh, man thing but man thing was a practical effect that they had a guy in a big suit on set and they Mm -hmm. did real makeup for the wolfman and so there's just all these tangible pieces and cool elements that make it stand out from uh especially the marvel fair that we have now because it seems like it's all multiverse related and you know really tied into all the different titles that came before so uh this was something that i loved and uh, I think it shows a great potential for Michael Giacchino uh, as a uh, director on top of being this incredible composer. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I just hope that it really broadens the horizons for Marvel and Michael Giacchino and just, you know, everybody involved.
0: Yeah, one of the articles, we've written a, a ton of stuff, um, you know, the, the staff and published, we've published a ton of stuff um, about this uh, special on Slash Film Today. And one of the things um, that really struck me was somebody was talking about how really like refreshing it was to watch something Marvel-related that felt like the entirety of it was actually filmed on sets instead of just, you know, green screen spaces or, like, yeah. a volume or something. Um, and sort of in retrospect, that is one of the things that I really appreciated about this. Like, the, the production design was, like, really um, tactile in a way that uh, that a lot of the stuff, you know, in the MCU, has, frankly, has not been. Um, and, and it really feels like there's a, a full... Uh, actual space that these people are inhabiting and it's not just like part of a set and then the rest of it is filled in it really feels like they're actually like in a room or in this maze or whatever um so uh, do you think they're going to release a uh sort of like a making of thing like they've done for so many of the the movies and tv shows on disney plus for this
2: that's a good question uh i i hope so uh this is definitely the the shortest thing that Marvel has done, because even though uh, episodes have been short in series, there obviously are multiple episodes, so there's a lot more to dive into. Uh, this runs about 48 minutes uh, before the credits start rolling, so... Um, I don't know, I I hope so, because like, it's, it has such a unique approach that makes it stand out from the rest of the Marvel stuff that it would be cool to hear them talk about, uh, you know, their approach with this and how they they pulled it off. So let's let's keep our fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. Uh, Here's a question. Do you think this is a movie or a TV show? Like, how would you categorize this thing?
2: Honestly, it's probably just right in the middle as like a TV movie, you know, I mean, it's, there's a reason that they called it a special presentation and they didn't call it, you know, uh, a movie itself. So it's too short to really be a proper feature length film. So yeah, I think, I think TV movie is probably the best way to describe it.
0: Yeah. What, what were some elements that jumped out, uh, at you watching this thing? Like, um, I I think the, the performances are like fine for the most part, but like I mentioned before, like the production design and and sort of like the, the aesthetic, the vibes of the whole thing was really like what I was mostly impressed by. Um, It seemed like you were, uh, you were particularly pleased by the, the practical effects and stuff too. Was there, were there any other elements that really jumped out at you?
2: yeah I mean, all the tangible stuff in it, and i I love the fact too that it kind of just throws you into the middle of this and lets you pick up details along the way. There's you know when you when you have a uh, a feature film, there's typically more time spent to like really introduce the characters, but this did it in such a an economical way that you didn't feel like uh, the characters were cheap in any way by not knowing a lot about them, but you learned just enough to actually become, you know, invested in them in this short period of time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, it, you know, there's a, a lesson to be learned here of, like, sometimes the less is more, where you don't necessarily need to explain all of this backstory and give fans all these details. You can let them discover things along the way and introduce something completely different and new without providing a lot of details on it. I think that sometimes... Marvel gets a little bit caught up in like trying to really break down just how everything works, especially when you're introducing new characters rather than just letting them, you know, come in and just exist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And, and you definitely feel that when you're watching this. I think one of the other things that I felt was, um, you know, you talked in the beginning about like this being its own sort of, it's in the MCU, but it's not really a corner of it that we've seen before. And I just keep wondering like how, how many corners have, are there unexplored still? You know, like the every time you do this and the MCU expands and gets, you know, wider, um, somebody who's taking the bird's eye view of the whole thing has to sort of, um, I don't know, almost like uh, uh, balance all of this stuff in their heads of like, okay, this universe uh, contains aliens, it contains superheroes, it now contains monsters and monster hunters and like this takes place in this sort of like uh nebulous time so it's unclear if this is you know exactly like when exactly this takes place on the timeline um i don't know just the idea of there being a corner of the marvel universe now where there's you know a giant bat creature who's who's been beheaded by monster hunters it's just kind of like it's crazy to think about like how how um you know all of this stuff is is ostensibly in the same world
2: yeah, exactly. And, you know, doing this, I think, before they've even introduced Blade, it makes this even more of a surprising decision, because if you had Blade, you'd, you know, you'd at least already have the ground set of, oh, yeah, of course, if there's a vampire out there uh, and a vampire hunter, you know, who's uh, half vampire, half human, then, of course, there's going to be this whole world of other monsters similar to vampires. But, you know, here we're just introduced to a whole new world within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's, it's a pretty small window to do it in.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I mentioned the performances being okay, like, there wasn't really, frankly, an actor that really jumped out at me. I thought all the character stuff was like, you know, um, you mentioned economical, like, it it just felt like uh, it got the job done. And it's not like I'm, you know, raring to go to see uh, Jack and man thing, you know, on a in the get their own like buddy picture or anything like that. Um, But I think there is something to be said for the, the way that they can establish chemistry between these characters in such a short amount of time. I think, uh, Gael, Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly, especially the, the Jack and Elsa characters in this, they don't really have a lot of time, um, to, like you mentioned, go into backstory or, or do too much of that. But I thought that, that there was, I think, because it's leaning so heavily on this sort of pastiche of, these, um, characters in universal monster movies that we've seen before these relationships, these dynamics that we've seen before and being able to sort of like slot these characters in. And like that does a lot of work for it. Um, yeah. maybe more so than any Marvel movie, you know, that they talk so much and have for years and years about Captain America, the winter soldier is a political thriller. And you're supposed to think about three days of the condor when you're watching it and all that. But those movies are so like big and loud and noisy that you rarely actually think about those things, I think, unless it's very much on the nose. And this, I think, was a good balance between like um, the runtime being short enough and just the writing being like just good enough to um, to sort of like yeah, like lean on those uh, those homages without it feeling eye rolly in a way. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, I don't know. Did you have any other any other um, like takeaways from this? Like you mentioned uh, the um, I guess potential for what this could do for for future holiday specials or however Marvel wants to approach doing these special presentations moving forward. Is there anything that you can think of off the top of your head that you would want to see explored in in you know more in a form like this instead of dragging things out in a TV show or you know maybe it's not quite enough for a movie? Are there any like um, Marvel characters or? or uh, storylines or anything that you think would this would be a good format for?
2: Gosh, I'm not steeped well enough in, like, the more obscure things, like, uh, you know, to figure out something like Werewolf by Night to really uh, pitch anything like that. Um, but, like, you know, I, I feel like this sets a table so where, like, it doesn't even need to be a holiday special, you know, to do anything like this. It can just be, like, you know, uh, a one-off that introduces a character, uh, into the universe so that you know at some point maybe they could pop up later and just be an interesting inclusion for people who have you know been sticking with everything that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has uh introduced so far and I think I kind of like that uh you know about this is that it introduces these characters and like you said you know it's it's not like you're you're foaming at the mouth to be like oh man I can't wait to hook up with Jack and Man thing again but I, I do like the dynamic between them enough that it would be cool if they did you know suddenly pop up somewhere in you know another project um and i especially like that it's the just just that twist of like you know you have this premise starting out that uh so they're all they all have to be hunting this monster and they're all after this bloodstone pretty basic thing but then like you have this little bit of a curveball thrown because jack is is friends you know with man thing and they kind of have like a little bit of this han and Chewy thing going on mm-hmm. uh and so i think i think you know having a, a place to introduce characters like that uh and give give even more you know of a of an ensemble available for the marvel cinematic universe when it's you know convenient to have these characters pop up um especially if it's it's not even a thing where they're uh you know integral to like the larger serial arc you know maybe it's just like a simple thing like you know back during the time uh when ant-man was still up and coming uh you know Falcon and Captain America, they call on Ant-Man because they're like, hey, we need somebody to help, you know, with the, you know, the Civil War situation. Mm-hmm. So they're like, they just recruit him and like to come fight, you know, because they think that he'll be helpful. And so like knowing that there are characters out there that somebody like Wong or, you know, anybody can be like, oh, I know a guy and have them show up and, yeah. you know, it be part of a, you know, a larger thing, I think is a cool prospect.
0: What do you think about the violence in this? Um, you know, there's, there's been a little bit made about like how this is, you know, a pretty bloody thing. There's a, a part where a character like shoves a sword in somebody's skull. Basically. Um, there's some, some fairly violent stuff for Marvel standards. Where do you think this falls on the the sort of like violent spectrum of the MCU?
2: It's definitely bloodier, definitely more gruesome. Um, I think that even, uh, the the fact that it was in black and white i think probably helped that aside from the aesthetic of falling back to 30s and 40s horror movies uh having blood in black and white is somehow less disturbing than it is when it's uh you know just purely red and gushing everywhere Which which is actually why if you notice in trailers uh if you ever watch trailers for horror movies and stuff like that when there's blood it's never actually uh full-on red it's typically either like a very very dark almost like uh, very close to being black red or it just is black so it looks like dirt or mud or something they try Mm -hmm. to to keep blood uh out of like uh, trailers that are intended for for all audiences um so it's like i think that kind of lends to it to make it a little bit easier to to swallow especially if for some reason you know parents are like yeah kids go ahead and watch werewolf by night
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there is anything else. I, I was impressed by, um, the opening sort of, uh, the way that, the, that it pulls you into the story. Like there's a lot of exposition there about Ulysses bloodstone and the, the history and the backstory and all of this stuff. And like, you know, the traditions and, and this world of monster hunters. And I thought all of that stuff was, uh, relatively well done. Um, I, I think the, the style of it is, is really what I come away with as my big takeaway. Like I mentioned before, um, I did appreciate the the uh, practical effects. Like you said, I was a little disappointed in the transformation sequence because they used they leaned on CG in that moment. And that's where I, you know, there, there's such a long lineage of werewolf transformation sequences in cinema that I was really hoping that um, Giacchino would uh, go back to those roots in, a, in as much of a direct way as possible and try to show, you know, like a, an American werewolf in London kind of way the the transformation in, in as practical a way as possible. I, I saw him talk in a featurette about how the idea of showing things on like uh, in shadow. Was um, a big part of those universal movies, obviously, and and sort of like leaving your mind to do to fill in the gaps, and and um, you know that's sometimes scarier than anything you could actually show. But like I mentioned, that legacy, that lineage of of werewolf stuff, I was a little disappointed in the act, the actual transformation sequence. Did you have any thoughts on that moment specifically?
2: Yeah, I mean, I felt like it could have been a little bit more intricate, being, considering though this is more of a lower scale thing. They probably you know had uh, a a little bit you know of a smaller budget to deal with and like those kinds of transformation effects can be pretty expensive you know yeah. like if you yeah. were to bring in someone like w- with the skills of like a rick baker or something like that it's going to cost you a lot so um i understand their need for to use a little bit of cg here and there but i was happy to see that like they didn't do much of any like uh or at least not noticeable uh any cg touching up of how jack looks when he turns into a werewolf it's very mm-hmm. much man in suit makeup prosthetics i even like that they have him wearing pants <laughs> throughout most of the thing it's just you know it's it's a nice touch.
0: Yeah, the uh, the sequence where a- after the transformation where he like goes where Jack um sort of goes off on all the guys and the the soldiers and guards or whatever you want to call them um it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the end of Rogue One the Darth Vader sequence where like the lights are sort of flashing a little bit there's sort of a hallway kind of vibe to it yeah. and it's just sort of going one by one were there any um I guess particular nods or anything it doesn't even have to be Universal Monsters uh, references but anything
2: like that that
0: you that uh, I guess stuck out to you that, that you noticed.
2: Uh no, not n- nothing like in particular. I, I do. Um, I, one thing I will say as far as like just a specific nice touch I thought was uh, cool was um having the uh the, the bloodstone itself be the only thing that had color uh, with throughout the entire thing at least until we get to the end. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I also was kind of curious whether the having us like go to color was like. I like. I wonder if there if there was like a deeper, you know, like thing as far as like why they chose to go to color at that moment instead of keeping it in black and white. Like if it, if it was just a way of like moving us out of that isolated area or if it was something where like only this was black and white because this was like you know the hunt and now it's over kind of thing yeah
0: were they playing somewhere over the rainbow at the at the yeah. transition yeah, point? They, they okay, were, yeah. So i wonder if it was just as simple as like being a, a callback to the wizard of oz and and you know the way that that movie goes from black and white to color i don't know um or or is it bringing it more now into the marvel cinematic universe that we know? Um, whereas like, you know, we were introduced in, in this sort of, um, sequestered, uh, storyline and now the transition brings it back into the idea that you mentioned that these characters can now jump back and forth and potentially pop up elsewhere because now we know what they look like in color and maybe it would be a little bit, a little bit of a jolt if the entire thing was black and white and then we saw them pop up in color elsewhere. Now, at least like the ground has been laid, you know, the groundwork has been laid for us to see what that looks like. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I think that, I think that makes sense. I like that.
0: Hmm. Uh, okay. Any other, uh, or I guess we're sort of nearing the end here. Any closing thoughts on this thing, or any other stray observations that we haven't touched uh, touched on yet?
2: Um. I don't think so. But yeah. I um. Like I said, I I hope we see these uh, these characters again. I think as Marvel expands into. Uh, new arenas especially with with blade upcoming and hopefully you know the success from this we'll see uh these characters and characters like this pop up because you know i i would hate if you know Gael garcia bernal this incredibly talented actor only got to do this you know in the mcu like i hope it uh you know turns into something bigger for him because he's the kind of actor who deserves just, just like, you know, Diego Luna getting his own series now after rogue one. Um, I I like the idea of bringing Gail Garcia Bernal into the MCU and uh, hopefully he gets to show his stuff even more.
0: Yeah. I wonder, what do you think about the, the Elsa bloodstone character? There seemed to be, you know, a lot of backstory with her, um, you know, this, this sort of estranged daughter of the family who has her own motivations. And it, it felt like I never really got the full uh, picture of exactly what she wanted and why and and it didn't really bother me while I was watching it but thinking back on it now I'm like um, I wonder if that was purposefully done because she seems like the character who could easily pop up in a Blade movie or something like that I don't know what did, what did you think about the, the Elsa character
2: yeah I think that's possible yeah if anything I think she's a character too um, and this goes I guess this goes for for Jack and, and Thing too is even I feel like if they did like Uh, chose to do another season of Moon Knight or something like that, that those characters would really uh, go together in an interesting way, you know, mixing the, the world of monsters with all of the Egyptian mythology and that kind of stuff, I think would be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Well, I know we have a lot of stuff um, written about this uh, special presentation. I'm going to link to some of it in the show notes, including a a sort of love letter to Harriet Sansom Harris's uh, performance. She plays Verusa Bloodstone, the sort of um, matriarch mother figure. Uh, I guess she's a stepmother, technically, who's the the leader of the group. Um, It's sort of praising her performance and and talking about how great she is. So I'll share a bunch of stuff if you're uh, interested in in exploring this um, project. From multiple angles, we've certainly done that at SlashFilm. So, uh, okay, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. You can find more about Werewolf by Night at SlashFilm.com. and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.
1: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.